And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Vanna, um, we're going to spend a few moments in the Word. The kids set us up perfectly uh, to look at one of these encounters where uh, the angels spoke to uh, people on earth with that message of fear not. Um, I was thinking about this encounter this week and the fact that I've heard, maybe you've heard everywhere I go, sort of that modern Christmas classic, Mary, did you know? Have you heard that? in the stores and like everywhere? No, just me? Okay, just me. Um, But you may know that song. And it asks the question, did Mary know what was going on? And I think the answer is, yeah, of course, duh, she knew what was going on. I mean, you know, she was the one that was pregnant. She was the one that had this announcement from the angels. But then she sings this great song that we find in scripture. And it's one of those episodes that the kids talked about. It's this song of praise. And uh, we've been talking about, we've been blessed with uh, a Christmas playlist. And so the kids got us thinking in terms of the singing uh, of the season and what points us to Christ. But this morning we want to look at scripture and how uh, that is reiterated. So in Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55, this is a song that the world over knows. It's a very popular song known as the Magnificent. And it's Mary worshiping God for his character. I love that line right at the end. I think Jack was the one who said it as Gabriel. Uh, I'm sure God, I'm sure the Father knows what he's doing, but will the rest of the world get it? And that's sort of the point, isn't it? And here's Mary speaking words of praise to God as one who actually gets it. And this morning, we've titled the sermon, magnifying his might and mercy. And Mary recognizes where she fits in God's plan. And she sings this song that highlights God's mercy and God's power that are exercised for everyone that fears him. And we can count ourselves among those people this morning. So before we get to the lyrics of the song, let's just look at some of the background. And the kids gave us some of that background, but let me highlight just a couple of things. So remember that when Mary visited Elizabeth, Mary had just heard the, the news of her own miraculous pregnancy from Gabriel, played so ably by Jack this morning. And it's more than just a surprising, unexpected, impossible pregnancy. For Mary. For Mary, it's an announcement of the long-awaited Messiah. Let me show you this. If you're in your copy of God's Word, go up to Luke chapter 1. Before this passage that we're going to look at, Jack had a few lines that kind of 
hinted at this, but in verses 32 and 33, Gabriel tells Mary that her baby is going to be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. That's in verse 32. Also in verse 32, he says, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now we're going to see in a few moments that Mary has this incredible biblical knowledge, but even the most casual Israelite would have heard that statement and they, wouldn't, they couldn't have missed what was going on. This child was coming to fulfill God's promises to his people. And so we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It's a passage we hear at Christmas all the time. This is what Isaiah says, this well-known prophecy about the Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're familiar with those words. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, now listen, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So the thing that Isaiah prophesied about Messiah, now Gabriel is announcing to Mary about her baby. They're fulfilled in these moments, those words of prophecy. And Gabriel keeps confirming to Mary that this baby is going to be unique and special as the divine king. So look in verse 33 if you're there. It says, of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, that gives credence to that Isaiah prophecy. The Messiah is coming to set up God's kingdom. He's savior of God's people, the people who've suffered for a long time under the oppression of foreign powers. Then in verse 35, Gabriel tells Mary that this baby was going to be divine, God in the flesh. Here's what he says. The child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And Mary, and we heard about it in the program this morning, she has kind of this reaction, the same reaction as anyone would have in that moment. She's surprised and she's bewildered and she doesn't really understand what's going on. How can this be, she says in verse 34. And I think it's not just the weight of the announcement of Messiah that's difficult for her to imagine. It, it's, think about it, it's the very biological logistics, right? that are going on here. The announcement doesn't work out in her mind. Gabriel, though, provides proof. And again, we heard it in the program. He provides proof to justify his announcement of this unexpected and this impossible pregnancy. And the announcement is that your cousin Elizabeth has an unexpected and impossible pregnancy as well. For with God, nothing is impossible. That's verse 37. So Mary rushes off with haste, it says to her cousin's house. We talked about that encounter last week. Elizabeth greets her with a song that calls out blessing on Mary. It really calls out blessing on everyone who recognizes that God has promised and he has provided for his people. And it's this call and this response between these two women that have been given this amazing, incredible, life-changing, impossible news. And their focus is on worship. So Mary's song is going to center on how God would use her, how he would use other individuals, how he would use people who would fear him, and then how he would use the corporate people of God 
Let's look just quickly at these things. So the first thing that we've got to note about Mary is this. Mary is someone who is an impressive Bible student. Uh, She hadn't been trained in Scripture. She hadn't had a formal education. Yet if we look at her song and do sort of cross-referencing in the Bible, there are in these 10 verses 15 plus quotes and allusions to other parts of Scripture. The song of Hannah, the song of Miriam as the people of Israel are delivered from uh, in the Exodus from the Red Sea. Mary is an impressive Bible student. She's calling out, not only is God going to do something great and impossible and improbable now, but he's been doing it all along. And this is just the next chapter in his story. Not only is she an impressive Bible student, but she's an impressive theologian. Now, wait, before you get bogged down with this word, we're not talking about, you know, dusty books and libraries and smoking pipes. and We're not talking about that kind of theologian. We're talking about someone who thinks thoughts about God that are accurate and really profound. Because when she has delivered this news, her first reaction, her first instinct is not victimhood. Why is this happening to me? Her first instinct is that somehow what is happening must be an expression of God's perfect plan. Look at what she says. She says this in verse, uh, up in verse 37, 38. Uh, Excuse me, in the first verse of her song, she says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What, What a striking statement of confidence. And if we compare that to her initial response, right, where Gabriel announces what's going to happen to her in verse 38, there, there she said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So here's Mary in the shock of this life-changing news. She, she simply makes herself available to God's plan. But as she has time to contemplate and start to compose this song of praise to God for what he is doing, I would say this, in the time that it has taken her to travel the 70 miles from Nazareth down to Elizabeth's house, she has gone from willing to worshiping. Here's the next line of Mary's song, and it reiterates that willingness. Mary knew that God used people, even people like me, she might have thought, She saw herself through God's eyes. And so in verse 38, this is what she sings. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Uh, Now, we know Mary as a woman of renown. She's the mother of God. She's the most famous woman in all of Christianity, perhaps. And yet this wasn't false humility. She wasn't hoping that someone would shoot back at her and say, no, no, you're you're not humble. You're really something very special and validate her. Mary understood who she was and who God was. And the distance between who God was and who she was. And so she rightly assesses herself as being of humble estate. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't know what your interaction with the world is like, but I'm going to tell you this, um, even within the church, I think that 
that this idea of assuring yourself of a positive self-image for either yourself or those that you love has become a core value of society. We must feel good about ourselves. And a lot of times we do that when we compare ourselves with other human beings. That's a difficult thing because we know that there are people who are better than we are, that are more capable than we are. And we know that there are people who are worse than we are and less capable than we are. It's kind of a moving target to, to really get a sense of who am I? But Mary knows that God never changes. And so she can count on a comparison to him being accurate. And so Mary proclaims God's majesty as she's worshiping him, and in the same breath, she recognizes her standing before God. And as a result, she, she acquires and she speaks this accurate self-image. She recognizes her place under God's mighty hand and it allows her to accept God's plan and purpose in humility. Look at what she says, what she sings in her lyrics. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And that's what's happened, right? Abraham, or uh, excuse me, Gabriel comes to her and says, you are highly favored. She doesn't know what to do with that. What kind of greeting is this? (laughs) Elizabeth, when she comes to her house, Elizabeth greets her with blessing. She might have started to think, well, maybe I am something special. This angel says I'm favored. My cousin says I'm blessed, and she doesn't even know what's going on. But as Mary contemplates herself in light of God's character and her plan, she realizes that instead of this being something that she can glory in, she recognizes that it's a burden that she will carry. She's accurately assessed herself, and she's willing to carry that burden. Now, at the end of this section of the song, Mary praises God's work in using her. She demonstrates again his character and his his holiness. She says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We see Mary's humility. We see that accurate self-image as she's considering God. When she's chosen for the most important task in the history of humanity, instead of an attitude of self-importance, Mary's really only interested in turning the attention to him. She, she could have said, I'm kind of a big deal, you guys. She could have put that bumper sticker on her donkey, God Mom, right? <laughs> she could have had that bumper sticker, your kid is an honor student, big deal, my kid is savior of the world. But she recognized that she was not necessarily unique. She was not necessarily special. In fact, the only thing unique about her is that no one would have expected God to use her. And that points straight back to God's glory. So verse 50, Mary, Mary's song points out that anyone could be used by God just as she has been. Look at what she sings. His mercy is for those who fear him. Do you fear him this morning as a believer? You can be used by God. Because she says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God will use people as they submit themselves to him 
recognizing that it is not about them, just as it was not about Mary. But the amazing thing for Mary and for you and for I is that God is pleased to show his greatness by using normal people for his purposes. See, this isn't just a Christmas message. It's a message we hear in the Christmas story, but, and we celebrate God's work through this ordinary girl, but it's an incredibly relevant message for today as well. When you and I see ourselves as God sees us and as God made us, we are free to step into his purposes for our lives. We are free to fulfill our God-given roles. Um, I imagine that if Mary had lived in the 21st century um, and she had showed her journal of lyrics to her therapist, he might have had some things to say to her. Um, he would have told her that she needed positive self-image exercises. You're really something special, Mary. She might have been challenged because she was willing to subjugate herself to the role of servant, to the role of mother. You're so much more than that, Mary. She might have been told that she needed to advocate for herself and make her voice heard. You have so much to offer the world. Don't let this unexpected, unplanned pregnancy hold you back. Can't you hear someone in the world saying that's Mary? But as God's people, our identity is given by the God who made us. We, we, when we understand our identity from Scripture, it frees us up to live out that identity without searching elsewhere for meaning. And I, I think that people look for all kinds of places to put their meaning in their identity. We, we put our stock in being something beyond just a servant of God. And so we want to be a stellar employee. We want to be the life of the party. We want to be the fixer of every problem. We want to be a great mom or dad. But God calls us to anchor our identity in God's truth. And if what we say is true, then doesn't translate to our everyday lives, then we've missed the point. My, my father-in-law, Jay, he loved to be um, sort of that resource to his four kids. He loved to help them out. And so it became uh, a Jay-ism, a, a statement that he would always make, that when the kids were leaving the house, he would say, call me if you need me. Call me if you have any questions, something like that. And, and often they would. They would get in a jam and they'd say, Dad, what do I do? I need your help. And he'd help them out of it. He was excellent at it. It was something he loved to do. So Janelle and I were um, getting married. We had hired a limousine to take us from our, uh, our wedding reception to the airport to fly away to our honeymoon. And as we got the limousine, Jay was back in the crowd of people waiting to see us off, and he said, call me if you have any questions. <laughs> and a lot of people who heard that took that the wrong way, just like you did. He wanted to be a help to us. He wanted to, that was his identity. As believers, though, listen, our identity 
is as children and servants of God. When we live out that identity, when we humble ourselves to be used by him, it, it might sound odd to other people in the world. It's going to be the most natural thing to us. Mary, Mary has learned from Scripture who she is and who God is, and she's absolutely determined to be used by God. Now, her song, though, takes that from the individual to the corporate. So look at verse Mary, or verse 50, excuse me. Mary turns her attention away from herself. She starts to look how God will use a group of people. So this next little section of lyrics, through this poetic, this series of poetic declarations, she sings how God reverses the values of society. Look at what she says, verses 51, 52, 53. He has shown strength, he has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Strength, pride, might, riches. Those are all the tools that the world says are necessary to accomplish great things. God says, I don't need any of them. I, build my, I don't build my kingdom by the means of the world. In fact, my wisdom is such that it is shown to be true because it takes the world's stuff and it throws it on its ear. And I think the success of that countercultural approach is not always evident. In Mary's day, people would have said, are you kidding me? Look at the state of the nation of Israel. They're captives. Their temple is destroyed. Well, it was being rebuilt, but it was being rebuilt in, in, in a very secular way. The ark isn't even there. Where possibly is God in this? Far from thwarting his enemies, God and his people seem to be teetering on the brink of disaster and annihilation and defeat. Mary, though, remember she's a student of Scripture, she starts speaking back and reminiscing about the words of the prophets. They had for centuries spoken God's promises of restoration and redemption and retribution to the enemies of Israel. They promised God's judgment. Now, in echoing these promises, Mary is not calling for revolution to bring these things about, but she is stating the settled truth of God's ultimate victory. Notice that when she declares these things, it's as if they have already happened. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. I'm in verses 51 through 53. He has brought down the mighty, has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry, the rich he has sent away. A skeptic might look around at Mary's day and dismiss her declaration of God's victory. It didn't look like God was winning. But in reality, God had initiated his victorious work, hadn't he? Because that little baby in Mary's belly was God in the flesh. The incarnation had already taken place as she's declaring these truths. Mary is announcing the beginning of God's kingdom. And Jesus was inaugurated king some years later by announcing his life, announcing victory in his life and his death and his resurrection. 
And he's going to consummate that victory when he returns again in power and glory to rule and reign. See, Mary sings of God's faithfulness to his covenant and his people. She knew it because God had been faithful all along. She knew it because God was continuing to be faithful. So she knew that God would be faithful into the future. Her focus of her song goes from that personal identification. Look at this. She declared herself his servant in verse 48. And then in verse 54, she says, Israel is his servant, from individual to corporate. She recognizes God's mercy to individuals, verse 50. But she also recognizes God's mercy to his people corporately, verse 54. There's this unchanging nature to God's fulfillment of his promises. Individuals who fear him from generation to generation, verse 50, are his people. But God also has a special people who he has, to whom he has revealed himself explicitly, Abraham and his offspring, in verse 55. It's that great host of witnesses that is going to worship and live with him eternally. Christmas is the announcement of God's sure and certain plan being set in motion. It's an invitation to declare yourself as one of God's people, to stop trying to make the way of your own identity. Christmas is the assurance of his ultimate victory. It's going to, request, it's going to require us trusting God in our weakness and in our humility. We're going to have to know that he has time and again throughout history shown his strength and his glory by overcoming all the odds. By using people who had no business accomplishing what they did except for the fact that they did so in reliance on him. And every single person is invited by faith to bow before the baby Jesus, born a king, to declare their loyalty as citizens of God's kingdom. But you and I have to resist the urge to try and help God out by doing things our own way. It's foolish for us to think that we can accomplish God's purposes through our own means or through means that we've seen be successful in the world's system. We're not called to reform the world through political means. We're not called to be successful as a church by trotting out a focus group or handing out slick brochures or making fancy programming or having a marketing mentality. Mary's story at, and her song at Christmas teach us that God defies all of those worldly conventions to bring about his purposes. He sent a baby into the world where babies were being executed. Messiah came into the world despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. doesn't make any sense to us when we think about it from human terms. But it was God's perfect plan to do things his way, to do things that way. He had to suffer and die in order to be enthroned. And I hope this morning you trust God's ways to bring about God's aims because they have never failed to do so. Even though we, they, they don't always fit to us. There's a song that we sing at Christmas time, I think that highlights this incongruity perfectly. You're probably familiar with it. The lyrics are infant holy, 
infant lowly, for his bed a cattle stall, oxen lowing, little knowing, and here it comes. Christ the babe is Lord of all. From infant holy to Lord of all. Mary praises the baby in her womb as God incarnate, Savior of the world, and she has committed herself to be used by the Father for his purposes. You and I worship the baby in the manger as God of the universe in the same way. Let's pray to the God of the universe this morning. Father, we come before you, and we with Mary say we are of humble estate. We say that, God, not because we feel bad about ourselves. We say that not because we don't uh, have an identity, but because our identity is in you, the great and glorious God of the universe. And we recognize that as we worship you and as we praise you as Mary did, that we can be used by you not because of our usefulness, but because of your wisdom and strength and might to be shown in the foolishness of men. God, would you please yourself to use us for your purposes, just as we worship you at Christmas time for using this young teenage girl for your purposes to change the entire world, to bring the Messiah who saves people from their sin. Fulfilling your promises, we are grateful for that at Christmas time. And God, we, we say, you are magnificent. Father, there may be here, those here this morning visiting, maybe they came to see their uh, child or grandchild, niece, nephew, whatever, be in this Christmas program, and the, the message is familiar, but they've never contemplated a relationship with you. They've never contemplated their identity being in you. They've never bowed the knee to you as sovereign Lord of the universe. Father, I pray that the truth of Christmas, the truth of Jesus, would come into their mind and help them understand that that is the only way to be on the ultimate winning side of history. Father, would you be glorified by saving sinners? We know you are. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.